I'm Chris Chapman, and you are listening to a podcast of spurious morality. And welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Uh, I'm Johnston, uh, and this week I have Connor with me. Hello. And we have a very special guest. We have Chris Chapman, a documentary maker, big Finnish writer, and all-round Doctor Who legend, I think it's fair to say. So, hello, Chris. <laughs> that feels like an exaggeration, but thank you very much. Yes, very happy to be here. Oh, if, if anything, it doesn't do you justice. Um, so we are uh, going to talk about uh, some of your work with Blu-ray, some of your work with Big Finish, and just throw a few questions at you. And then after all of that, we'll just have a chat about Doctor Who, because why not? Let's, let's start with uh, what I hope is a nice, easy question. Um, how did you sort of start working with Big Finish? What was your, your in, as it were? Uh, oh, uh, I guess it was back in, uh, it must be like 2017 or something now, something mad like that. I, I, um, I'd i worked a few years before that with Nick Briggs on our Death to the Daleks DVD, where he'd done a make, he'd helped us do with the making of, and we'd interviewed him, and uh, he did the voiceover as well, in, in character as the Daleks. And I uh, very cheekily at the time said, uh, I, I, I write as well, and I, I've written some short films, here are some short films. Uh, do you think I could pitch for a big finish? And he very kindly said yes. And then I did nothing about it for about three years because uh, other things got in the way, and I was probably a bit chicken as well. I was probably a bit uh, overawed by the idea of actually pitching a Doctor Who story rather than just making documentaries about it. Uh, and then I... I Weirdly, just found myself with a couple of weeks in between jobs and thought, actually, I'll write something. I'll write at least a, a blurb of something. And that was a story called The Memory Bank, um, all about a planet where if you are forgotten, then you cease to exist, which was kind of really all about the fact that my dad had died not long before then, and I was terrified of forgetting his voice, and that felt like you would lose a person. So it was kind of inspired by that. And And as luck would have it, uh, Alan Barnes on the main range was just putting together a, one of their anthology ones where they do kind of four stories on one release and he wanted it to be on, on the theme of memory uh, so the, this amazing coincidence that I was pitching a story about memory at the time when he was looking for a story about memory is kind of absurd but yeah so they went for it and and that was the first one that was the memory bank uh, which is I guess is about four or five years ago Ah, uh, yep, yep, lovely, lovely story. It's a great story, um, great set actually. I do like those anthology 
sort of stories. I kind of miss them now. We don't have the monthly range anymore. I hope they yeah, find I, a way. Yeah, of... I, I guess in the modern in the modern sets, they I guess they've got the flexibility within a box set that they could still do single parters, couldn't they? That they could still have a kind of mix of episode durations. But yeah, I don't know if they'll quite appear in the same way that they used to. Uh, those those anthologies, but it was fun. It was a really nice one to do. Yeah, um, Connor, do you want to come in with a question? Yeah. Um, so, as you've just said, you were pitching a story about um, about memory, and just as they were looking for a story about it, when you're um, coming in for uh, when you're coming in to do a new story, do you ever find yourself? Um, is it is it always that you pitch an idea, or do you ever get a brief to work from, or is it a bit of a mix of the two? It's a, it's a mix. So uh, I will tend to have an ideas document on my laptop of like maybe a dozen different story ideas that I've just thought, oh, I'll scribble that down. And it's so basic. It's just like this thing happening in this place might result in this. And, uh, and so sometimes a producer will come to me or script editor will come to me and say, uh, I've got a slot for the sixth doctor have you got any ideas and and i'll send them uh three or four different ideas that maybe i was thinking of for a different doctor but i think oh actually that could work for the one you're talking about or you're talking about this particular doctor and companion combination so it could work for them and something like the memory bank i think originally uh i think it, i think it was a tegan and nissa fifth doctor uh and the first thing alan said was it needs to be the fifth doctor and turlo because mark's over from uh, from down under uh, and so you go oh well actually I could see that could work still and uh, and it would go like that but some other times uh, like when I did Warzone for the fifth Doctor that was very much Scott Hancock getting in touch and Scott's great and he was saying look um, we've got this kind of this kind of rough idea for uh, a, a kind of tough mudder you know an, a big endurance race but it's a Doctor Who version uh, and we want we we've got the story arc where Mark is going to be uh, turned into a Cyberman. Can you can you pitch an idea that makes that work? You know, so you're still given a whole load of freedom. But I guess it's a bit more like how I presume Russell T Davis runs Doctor Who at the moment. That he would probably give you a bit of a shopping list, and then you've got the flexibility to pitch accordingly. Uh, when we did the the the, the uh, plight of the Pimpernel with the sixth doctor that weirdly was Colin Baker coming forward and saying, I think just to, um, to, to the producer in studio, I've always wanted to do something with the Scarlet Pimpernel. Why, why have we not done doctor who meets the Scarlet Pimpernel? And so that was really weird to know that the doctor himself had kind of had said, give me this please. And, and they'd come to me. And, and in that case, you end up in this weird situation where you think, well, the Pimpernel is a fictional character, so how how can the Doctor meet a fictional character? And then the story kind of starts to suggest itself to get around that 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 issue, you know, rather than for it to be a negative. Uh, so it, it's a mix. And Big Finish are really good at, at at being quite open. The one I'm writing at the moment, I literally sent it. I was I just messaged the producer on Twitter to say, "Have I ever told you about this?" And just told her a family story, and she was like, "Oh, well." can you pitch that to us you know and so it can happen very casually as well which is nice ah, excellent stuff um i'm going to come back to wars i absolutely love Warzone. Mm. i think it's brilliant um Thank you. so you mentioned that it was kind of um 
it, it was in the brief that Mark got turned into a Cyberman. Um, was it your choice to not actually have the Cybermen in the story, or was that sort of were you told you had to turn him into a Cyberman, but you can't have the Cybermen? Uh, yeah, the I mean, this is heavily spoilers, so so I hope you put like stick, stick some kind of spoiler spoiler warning on the front of this, uh, but. Yeah, it was always the idea that the 80s Cybermen would be in conversion uh, and that it would be a surprise that there's a cyber aspect to Warzone. Uh, and I knew, yeah, I, I would have known in that shopping list that uh, I, I didn't have access to David Banks or whatever, you know, that, that the idea was that it would be a bit more subtle in Warzone, which is ridiculous to think of subtlety in a story about like a huge, huge big running race with a man dressed as a dinosaur and all these things. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the idea that, that as a viewer, you would, as a listener, you would see the cover and know the Cybermen are coming, but you would think this first story is a bit of fluff and, and just a silly Doctor Who idea. And I think what was really fun in, was dropping those hints through it because what I pitched to scott and and to and to uh yeah to scott and to guy was um there's something really interesting about running and, and i i run marathons i've done a lot of these kind of things and and there's something really interesting about uh self-improvement you know as a as an activity form you know the idea of a pb of a personal best and and improving yourself and making yourself better through activity and and sporting prowess and all this and i just thought self-improvement is such a nice maybe subtle link into you know the origins of the cybermen you know to the stuff from the 10th planet where you're just gradually replacing your organs with with nicer posher smarter organs and it kind of goes from there uh so it was it was really nice and i think at one point i said could we call it pb or could we call it personal best and they were like actually that might be setting ourselves up <laughs> like if it's shit then the reviewers would be like this is not a personal best and, and it would be a, a a stick to beat us with but uh yeah, I, I i like the idea that in that doctor who delicious way you can take something very relatable like a saturday morning park run and make it evil <laughs> you know make it kind of awful in some way and uh and yeah, it kind of grew, grew really naturally from that, which was, it was lovely actually to take a brief and then to be able to kind of, in a Cyberman style, kind of augment that into into what it became. So that, that if, it was a really nice relationship and then and then the natural kind of back and forth, uh, you know, you know, to make sure everybody was happy. But it, I think Scott did an amazing job directing that one because the real reason that I think that story is, is seems to be quite, quite enjoyed is the direction is really tight. You know, the, the way that Scott gently pushed those actors, you know, and, and I think Peter is wonderful in that. You know, when you feel like he's really fighting for Adric's memory, uh, he, he's terrific. And and that goes all the way down to how on earth do you enact a big running race on an audio budget? And things like the music, which has this lovely kind of John Carpenter kind of vibe to it and, and makes it all feel really kinetic but creepy and exciting. And uh, So I thought I thought it was just a really good production and, and I've kind of benefited f from that. But it, it's down to a lot of people, definitely. It's, um, I mean, I, I've often cited it on this podcast, I've often cited it as one of my favourite Cybermen stories, which is made even better by the fact that they're just not in it. The, the no, Cybermen no. aren't in it at all. 
Um, yeah. And it just kind of, I, I like the way it kind of demonstrates the, uh, I guess, the impact they have as well without being there. It makes them feel like a real threat in the Doctor Who universe, like their presence is felt. Yeah, but that's always the genius. That's always the genius of the Cybermen is that they are us. You know, the the the, the Mondas was always you know it literally is a, it's a, it's a twin of Earth, and they they they're supposed to be us. So so stories can work really well without them because actually then all the characters become they represent that cyber threat because they are us, and it's harder to do that with Daleks because. There are so many different. There's so many different things in between the two. But I think with Cybermen, you just have to say, "Well, that's my neighbour." You know, it's a classic body snatchers kind of riff in that way. That these are the people next door. Uh, this is you. That's what spare parts does so well. Is just confronts you with just normal people on a street uh, who are changing in this horrific way. Uh, so I think it's 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 a great idea. You know, by Kitten and uh, oh, I've gone blank. Uh, Kit Pedler and and. Jerry Davis. Jerry Dick, Joe, yes. So Kit and Jerry come up with such a smart idea, you know, that, that can be reinterpreted in lots of different ways. Yeah. Um I I've always sort of found them to be a more versatile villain than the Daleks, I think. And it's it definitely is showed in Warzone how that can kind of be put into put into good use. Uh Connor, have you got one? Yes. Um so oh, oh over the time you've worked with Big Finish now, you've written quite a few historical stories, um, one of which is Scorched Earth, which I absolutely love, um, not just for you know the story it tells at that point in history, but for how it uses its companions as well, um, and, and the dynamic between Flip and Constance. Um, but are there any, uh, any periods of history that you would love to set a story in that you haven't used so far? Yeah, I mean, I, I love writing the his, historicals and people always say, can it be a pure historical next time? And you think, no, I, I mean, I, I watched Doctor Who because it takes a moment in history and bashes, you know, something completely weird in, into that. Um, so there are loads of periods I'd love to do. The one I'm doing at the moment is set in the 1920s. Uh, and the one I did before that is like a proper time hopping one that goes to lots of, and was me going, oh, I'd like to, quite like to go here, and I'd like to go here, and I'd like to go here, and oh, they won't expect us to go here. Uh, the one I've been trying to work out for years, and I haven't found a, a good way to do this, and I might end up just writing a, a pilot for a Netflix miniseries or something, is I'm obsessed with with the Donner Party in America. You know, the story of the of the, of the early pioneers, the families on a wagon train who go through into the Colorado mountains and get get snowed in. Uh, because they've been sold like a shitty map, basically that they they've been tricked almost uh, into going a stupid route through the mountains. They get stuck and then they basically resort to cannibalism. But they do it in order to save their children. Basically, it's a story about what would you do if your child was so hungry they were going to die, but there's a body outside the house that they could eat. You know, I'd, I'd let my child eat that if I thought this is the only way. And actually, it's a historical story with loads of heroes and and certainly one really nasty piece of work villain who's the one guy who actually deliberately, you know, who who kills to eat. Uh, and he's the guy who survives. And when he gets to, to, to the other side of the mountains, he sets up a restaurant, like a, a, a really kind of a steak and burger restaurant. And he, he trades on the idea that I'm the cannibal and come to my cannibal restaurant. And then eventually he gets shamed. For this but it's just such a rich amazing dark 
courageous story, which Americans know all about. Americans like American school kids know all about it, and and people in Europe don't know it so well. But I've never been able to figure out a good big finish route into it because it's so fucking dark to do a, a cannibal story. You know, I, I'd I'd love to find a way into that, uh, and I'm obsessed with. Uh, the kind of heroic period of exploration. So things like Scott and Shackleton and, you know, Everest, people like Mallory and Tenzing and uh, and Hillary, you know, I, I'd always be interested to put these people into Doctor Who, but it's finding the right way. So you're not literally just saying, I like this person. The Doctor can meet them. You know, it's it's uh, needs to feel organic. Uh, and I really want to do something set on Lindisfarne. Like I used to live up in the Northeast and Holy Island of Lindisfarne, is such a uh, an evocative atmospheric location and things like that. There's a Roman Polanski movie called called Cul-de-sac, which is set there and where the people almost get trapped on. Well, they do get trapped on the causeway and Donald Pleasance is in it. And I've been trying to pitch for a while something set in the history of Lindisfarne because uh, I just think it's a really evocative to set a Doctor Who story on an island with a monastery and a causeway that's accessible at certain times and not at other times that you can get trapped on, I think is all. So I, I think you're always looking and thinking, that's a nice thing that you think, oh, that's a good story. That's a good, you know, it doesn't have to be your story. <laughs> it can be history's story. So it's probably me being lazy rather than anything else. No, if, um, well, if you ever if you ever get your Colorado mountain story made at Big Finish in Doctor Who, I think you deserve some sort of award. That'll be a job well done. <laughs> well, I just, I, I just don't know how you do it. I mean, I, I'll keep, I, at some point, I will just write it as a drama. Um, but uh, by that point, somebody probably will have made it already, unfortunately. But uh, I'd love to find a Doctor Who way, and I haven't found it yet. No, I, 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 I do love the opportunities that history presents. I, I think whenever I was, you know, growing up watching Doctor Who, I, I always sort of gravitated more towards the space sci-fi stories, but I've, I've come to appreciate the, the, the historical ones a lot more in recent years and in, in no small part thanks to the ones you've written for Big Finish. So, um, Well, thank you. No, I, I think it can go either way, really, because when you're writing something like The Middle, where you can just say, yeah, this is what they do on this planet, and you can just make up any old shit and say, well, this is what they do here. Uh, you know, that feels liberating. But then you start thinking, oh, God, I wish I could just have something solid and concrete and, no, we do it like this because this is history. And so you start wanting to write a history piece instead of it. And then you write a history and like, oh, God, I can't believe they didn't have crisps or something. You know, I have to use nuts. Why didn't they have crisps? And 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 so you start thinking, oh, I'd love to be writing the middle right now. And you can never be quite happy with the amount of freedom or the lack of freedom that you have. Well, the uh, mention of the middle kind of links in a little bit to our next question, uh, which is um, a lot of your stories have been uh, Colin Baker or Peter Davison. Um, is there anything that kind of draws you to them specifically, or has it been a coincidence that that's who you've ended up writing for? I think I think ultimately it's a coincidence. Uh, I'm very very happy coincidence that I'm very happily continue with. But it's uh, the memory bank was pitched as a Peter Davison. I just thought that would be that larger Tardis team. I think as I say, I was pitching Nissa and. And Tegan, that felt right for that. And it, even though it ended up as Turler. Uh with the middle, I think I I think I might have initially pitched that as a Tom Baker and Lala Ward thing. I think, possibly, weirdly. And then 
I think Big Finish came back and said, actually, if you got anything for Colin and and Flip and Constance, and and it worked really well for that. Um, so so I I think off the back of that, I I just seemed to had have a good relationship with the script editors and producers on the Colin Baker Rangers, and those people have changed, but they've kind of bounced me between them. Uh, so if you've got that relationship. You know, those are the people that come back and say, can you pitch again? We liked the last one, so can we have another one? So it, I think the Big Finish structure it kind of continues you down the same path because that path is hopefully happy with with what's happened so far. Um, and I've done a Tom that hasn't come out yet. I've never done a Sylvester. I mean, Sylvester, with all respect to the other doctors, Sylvester was my doctor on telly now i'm born in 81 so i remember colin but i was too young to really say that's my doctor uh however much i love him but sylvester really was the doctor that made me a fan so it's uh, just through no particular um thinking i've not had a chance to have a to do a sylvester yet i'd love that uh, i'd love to write for any of the new doctors any of the the post 2005 doctors um i'd love to write for john you know you know uh for tim uh, stepping into John Pertwee's shoes, uh, so I, I'm really flexible. I'm, I genuinely think every era of Doctor Who has its ups and downs, and and but I come come at it very much from a position of of love. Uh, but you know, I think with Colin's Doctor, I I I find I I find that Doctor seems to come quite easily. In you know, not not I don't want that to sound like arrogant, but but that writing that Doctor, I feel like oh yeah, I know how he would speak and how he would react to that. And I love that verbosity of Colin's performance allows you to have fun in a way that I, I I would imagine if I was writing for Chris Eccleston's Doctor, I'd have to curb that. I'd have to calm myself down because his Doctor is less flowery, you know, is, is more direct. And um, But no, I've been very happy with the way things have worked out and 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 certainly certainly Colin and Peter have, have always been lovely when, when, I've, when I've popped in to see these things getting recorded so long may it continue absolutely definitely and uh yeah we um we spotted when looking through your stories just before we did this that there's a tom one coming up very soon so very excited about that Mm. um i'm sorry connor i did kind of jump ahead on the running order there and uh miss one of your questions out so we'll go back to that no not a problem um i was interested to know whether there are is anything in particular that has influenced influenced you as a writer whether that be from doctor who or or elsewhere is there anything that you consciously think of or or even maybe that you're you're aware you you might unconsciously think of whenever you're writing um that 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 influences your work i think the big i I try and take the core of things from my own life and from my family's life um because at least then you've got an answer when people say like, well, "What's it about?" You're like, "Well, it's about it's it's about something. It's about this." And so, as I say, the memory bank is literally about the death of my dad. Uh, the, the middle, I don't think. I, I think the middle was weirdly about the fact I've been spending a lot of time with my grandfather, who was in his nineties at that point, and he was this amazingly capable man who was still driving himself everywhere and uh, sharp as a tack. And so that the idea in the middle that that. Um, you know, don't underestimate the elderly. You know, they're capable of of these amazing things. Don't don't take the piss. Don't send them to war. But uh, uh, that came from that. I think with this new one that I'm writing now, it's based on a great uncle of mine. No, so it's based on my great 
grandfather and his life story, uh, which I just thought that's that's amazing, and I can build a story about that. Um, with uh, Scorched Earth, it's inspired by my, my grandfather. He 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 base he is Walter Curtis, so the character of Walter in Scorched Earth it, that that's his name. And and so he he went into Normandy D Day plus twenty one. Uh, he was late for the fight. He travelled uh, through France, liberating villages, towns. Uh, it literally is him. And the, and the embellishment is: I don't think he ever saw uh, people being punished. You, you, you know that that sense of uh, collaboration being punished. He never really talked about that, but that was me reading up and going, "Oh, that's really interesting and and something to delve into." But I, I think literally my family tree has been the thing I've um, been plagiarizing and plundering for these, and that feels nice because it's a nice way of, in my head, paying tribute to those people as well. And uh, you know, as as we all face, you know, when people keep bloody dying. It, 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 you know, you. I, I become more and more obsessed with how you keep those people alive somehow. Uh, so this is a nice way of doing that, I think. And aside from that, I'm, I'm a huge movie nerd, so uh, all of them probably in some way, either consciously or subconsciously, are ripping off. Uh, I'm sure lots of people left, right, and centre. Uh, something like Plight of the Pimpernel. I literally, I thought, what shall I watch to research this? I'll start with Carry On, Don't Lose Your Head and and went straight to, which is, Carry On, Don't Lose Your Head is actually a very good uh, version of the Pimpernel story. It's one of the more accessible ones out there because there's not been a good modern Pimpernel movie for a long, long time. Um, so lots of movies and and then I guess, I guess kind of Doctor Who at large, really. You know, it's very hard to to make a Doctor Who story that's completely unique. So I guess uh, again, subconsciously, I'm probably absorbing that kind of thing. And I feed a lot into it because I, I, I make documentaries for telly. I often feed a lot of the stuff I pick up from those jobs into the Doctor Who's, and that might be characters that I'm basing on real life people I've filmed with. I'm often taking names, and and almost as an Easter egg. Like characters from the, all the characters of the middle are named after kids from that I filmed with on the CBBC series Our School. And literally, like it's a whole class of kids, uh, which you would only would only mean something to you if you worked on that show, you know, really. Uh, so I think I think as a writer, it's more fun if you just take inspiration from everywhere, and, and don't worry about about plagiarizing your own life at all. No, absolutely, and and I I, I totally agree with what you say about. Um, about keeping the memory of people alive, you know, it's it's a really lovely way to do it. That that, um, as you say, you know, you know, someone is now going to live on that their story has been told and something is is recorded and is there for for posterity. That that's a really lovely thing. It's just another excuse as well for you to to think about that person, you, you know, to be able to to live with them on your computer screen and 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 say, well, what would he say now? And and so it's in a very weird puppet master kind of way. It's keeping people going. Uh, but no, it's 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 always a nice it, it it's it's good for the soul. I think you know when you're writing like that. I find you've got me thinking about my family now. Like whose whose story can well, I? Well, 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 I would say every family, every family will have loads of Doctor Who stories in it. You know, and I think maybe it's particularly, you know, our generation. Uh, yeah, I might be 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 a bit older, but our generation, our generation's grandparents lived through this amazing time you know like i 
my granddad was in the siege of Malta, like on the other side, that granddad. Uh, but I, I bumped into a writer the other day who said, no, I'm I'm going to pitch a Malta story. So I, I kind of backed off. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I would say every single family has has about half a dozen Doctor Who stories in them. Definitely. Mm. And it's an interesting point you made before as well about sort of being inspired by Doctor Who. You know, when you've seen so much over nearly 60 years, is it actually possible to write Doctor Who without... <laughs> at some point plagiarising Doctor Who to an extent, I suppose. Um, what have we got next? Oh, nice easy one. Hope it's a nice easy one. Uh, who has been your favourite Doctor to write for? Ah, uh, oh God. Well, you can't, you know, that's the one that <laughs> Not we get an easy one. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I genuinely, I was, um, I find, as I say, I, I really enjoy writing for Colin. Uh, and Colin... I guess I've I've met the most, you know, we've been in the studio the most times and we've filmed together quite a bit for documentaries. But I love, you know, everything I've done with Peter, I've loved. And as I say, you know, the work that Scott Hancock did with him on Warzone was so amazing. Uh, I, I was very excited to get an opportunity to, to write for Tom. I think there's something just very, I think we'd all be lying if we didn't, you know, I think we recognise how uh, important and huge a figure for the world really Tom is. So being able to write for that doctor and very self-consciously saying, I want this to be kind of early Tom. I want this to be a Tom, a darker, more alien Tom, uh, you know, than we might get. Very much kind of Seeds of Doom one and two kind of Tom when he's kind of lurking in the background a bit, looking ominous um, is kind of what I wanted to write for that. Uh but but I think they're all great, <laughs> you know, so I don't really have a, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have a true favourite because it would be a delight. It'd be lovely to write for any of them, I would say. Fair enough. Can't argue with that. Um, so obviously Big Finish has many, 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 many ranges uh, related to Doctor Who, spin-off series, all that kind of thing. Um, if you could write for any that you haven't so far, what would it be? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'd love to write for the Doctors I've not written for before. So yeah. any any of the others would, would be great. Uh, I don't know, really, I'm trying to think. Of, I mean, the, the, the exciting thing that's happened recently is the announcement of the new Dark Season set uh, that uh, Scott Hancock is has been producing and Russell T. Davis as exec and Russell's written a whole story for it and I got to write a story for it. And... And that was the one, if, it, if that had come out and I'd not been involved, I would have been absolutely gutted because I was, as a 10-year-old, like the biggest fan of Dark Season. You know, 1991, CBBC, in the absence of Doctor Who for the last two years, it, it felt like, oh, this is Doctor Who's continuing. But uh, under the guise of uh, geeky teenagers exploring weird things happening in their school, it's quite Buffy, but like ahead of Buffy, before before even the movie version of Buffy. Um, and it's Russell's first writing project that he ever did. Is well, you know, the first series after things like Why Don't You and I think he does a bit of Chuckle Vision, doesn't he? Um Yeah. So so that was that was the one that I would have been really upset if I'd seen somebody else getting the gig. So I was that's that's the one I was holding out for. And the fact that they've managed to get Kate Winslet to come back and to play her original part from 91 is just nuts so for me having kate in my episode uh you know in that story being able to tell that 
work with that cast. That, that that's the one I would I was really excited to do. Um, so hopefully we'll do like Century Falls next if if Russell wants to do more of his early uh, of his early work. Uh, but apart from that, I mean, I, I'm a nerd for lots of things. I love the fact that Nick's been working on things like The Prisoner and that now we're doing stuff with uh, J- with Jamie Anderson telling stories about his dad's worlds, you know, uh, having Thunderbirds and things like that is is really exciting. Um, I can't really think what other Doctor Who ones have they got at the moment because they don't really do countermeasures and things like that. Now, unit is, I mean, I've, I've done a unit one before and I'd, I'd happily do unit again. That was really fun. Um, what else is there? My mind's gone completely blank. Um, oh, what is there at the moment? River Song's a big <laughs> one, I suppose. I'm, I only say yeah. this because I'm listening to River Song at the moment. Uh, I'm listening to the series they did with Lidshaw. Oh, oh, do you know the one I'd, lo- I'd love to? I'd, I love that they're doing stuff with Eric Roberts as master. So I'd love to, oh, yes. I'd love to write for Eric in some form because that master. I'm I'm a big defender of the '96 TV movie. Yeah, I acknowledge its its issues, but I'm a big defender of it, and uh, and I love that the deliciousness uh, of uh, of that master because it, it feels like the most callous. Like Roger Delgado, you might be able to, and certainly Pertwee convinces him quite often that they should do that they shouldn't do the really evil thing uh but you feel like with eric roberts's master he would always do the really evil thing you know there would never be any like oh no i hadn't considered that the aliens would double cross me i'd better side with you doctor that wouldn't happen with with bruce the paramedic i don't think would it so i'd i'd love to get a chance to write write for bruce that that would be fun uh, something that uh, we've seen or, or we know is coming up on a couple of occasions now is they've, they've handed whole box sets over to one writer. Um, I, I think Tim Foley's doing a whole River Song set and Robert Valentine's doing a whole War Doctor set. Is is that something you'd ever be interested in doing? I don't know. I mean, I I I think it's always fun to tell big stories, and I think it's very different when you when you write a four parter compared to a one parter or a two parter, and you you do have space to spread out and to uh, and to paint a bigger picture. Um, so that appeals to me. It was quite fun that we did recently a box set for the Eleven uh, where there were three different writers and we had to work together, you know, in a really fun way. We had to kind of brainstorm together to say, well, what's this whole box going to be about? And then you do that one, I'll do this one, you do the other one. Um, so... So that I think that's fun when you're working with other people to build up a bigger set, a bigger story. Uh, I, I mean, I'd quite happily take on a, a box set if they offered it, <laughs> but uh, but I, I don't I don't need it to be that way, you know. And, and I and I don't see an advantage particularly if you were making a box set of three completely unconnected stories. Then it's just three writing commissions, if you like. It's it's not there isn't an extra thrill to that i don't think unless you were telling an interlinked bigger story in which case you'd say oh this is this is now an extra challenge this is fun i, I, I did have a follow-up there and it's, it's gone out of my head <laughs> um, i've got one uh would you ever be tempted to do a torchwood i would love to do a torchwood yeah i, I very happily and i know i know james goss and and scott obviously used to work on that range as well um yeah i think they've they've done amazing work to keep those fresh and and fun and and to delve into lots of different areas of Torchwood and I, uh, you know, and I think I think Torchwood I when it was good it was great you know what, what, Children of Earth is is terrific and all the way through season one and two you know there were great episodes in there and and so I I'd very happily 
try that. And I think I certainly felt doing the the unit story that I did, uh, which was hosts of the, hosts of the women, uh, that it didn't feel in any way less fun to not have the doctor in it. You just thought, oh, this is great. I get to play in a different sandpit. So I'm sure I'd feel the same way for Torchwood if I got that chance. Excellent stuff. Um, next question is yours, I think, Connor. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot there about your about your big finish work. Uh, the other big thing you're known for, as far as Doctor Who goes, is your documentary work. And I, I don't think a collection set has come out that hasn't had... Uh, your work on it um so what whenever it comes to a a new collection set coming out what do you look for in terms of potential topics to cover um for your documentaries i think actually you're correct i was gonna i was gonna dispute you and say oh i don't because i didn't do anything new for for season 12 or 17 but uh we we on the dvds we did an arc in space documentary which is on 12 and we did a Creature from the Pit doc, which is on 17. So I'm incorrect. Um, what was your question? What do I enjoy about it? Uh, what, 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 whenever a new one, when, whenever you're going into production on a new one, what do you yes. look for in terms of potential topics to cover? I see. Yes. Uh, so it varies. Uh, I think that the process normally, and this literally happened the day before yesterday, so I can use that as an example, that uh, Russell Minton, who's the boss of the whole thing, um, Russell will uh, Russell likes to message on Facebook Messenger. That's his thing, that he doesn't like to... He, he, he'll email, uh, but he, he doesn't really check his WhatsApp, but he is all over Facebook Messenger. So if you want a quick answer from Russell, you go on Facebook. And he, he said we might be looking at this season soon-ish. And I said, well, in that case, uh, here are three ideas, uh, which he wasn't really asking for, but I was like, well, I I was standing by, we should do these. And and in that case, you know, one of them is a format, an existing format, where I'm thinking, ah, well, I'd love to do another one of those. and, And so that would work here. One of them is a location-y format, uh, and another one is a more biography kind of thing. But I guess with each season, I'm, I've, I've already thought really about um, things that I'd love to do on the seasons that we haven't uh, done yet. That's really open beyond that, that, that if new ideas come along, then we'll go with that. And, and But it, it will tend to be me pitching uh, to Russell and saying, I think this would work really well. And then he'll come back and say, I'd like A and C, please. I'm not really bothered about B. And I'll be like, oh, okay. And 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 we'll we'll get started. Um so it tends to be that rather than uh I mean occasionally he'd certainly the nearest it gets to a brief is I'm producing one at the moment where he's literally come to me and said, we need a making of for this story. Uh can you can you pitch me an idea and you see you know so in that case you're 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 a bit more focused because you know okay well it's going to have to be this kind of shape uh but normally there's a lot of flexibility just to pitch what what we're keen to make i've made some pitches that we haven't been able to do which makes me sad most of the ones i've been really keen on are ones that we've been able to make so that's been nice so far and there's certainly quite a few i'd love to do on the remaining set, are we like halfway through the sets now, or something? I think, it must I think be about so. nearly halfway. 
I try not to think about. <laughs> you'd, you'd feel a bit a bit dwarfed by it, I think, if you worried too much about that. Uh, but there's plenty more to do. No, I, that, that that's fantastic. I I I always find it amazing that you know Doctor Who fandom has been going on for so long, even before there was a DVD range, and and you know even before there was a Blu-ray range. Um, you know, fanzines and whatnot over the years, you know, covering off behind the scenes material that every time a new collection set gets announced and there's some new documentary on it or some new feature or, 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 um, or, or, or material going into something. And I think amazing that we found something new, uh, to cover and, and, and still can dig out of this 60 year history. Um, well, I think it benefits from the fact that we take it as read that the people watching really give a shit and that uh you know these aren't the kind of things we could get commissioned to be on bbc2 and occasionally like we did the abominable snowmen making of recently and one of the contributors very charmingly said is it going to be on telly can we watch it on telly i was thinking well who's going to who's going to commission this who's going to want to put this on bbc2 you know we have to admit these are incredibly niche joyously niche the fact that they're so niche means we can make them literally for you and 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 i make them in the knowledge of oh yeah but so-and-so's already heard that story three times and i know they like this and i know they don't like that and i can kind of really in, in a very precision manner make a documentary for like i don't know like a hundred thousand people or something you know rather than uh the millions and millions you'd have to do it for, for telly um so I think that uh, I think it's always I think it's lovely that we can and and so because we take it as read that people give a shit it means you can say let's make a documentary about Lenny Main uh, you know who directed like four Doctor Who stories because we we know that Doctor Who fans will turn up you know because it's linked to Doctor Who we then have to earn our right to have their interest we have to kind of the documentary has to stand up on its own two legs but. On that basis, the, the storytelling potential is infinite because Doctor Who has so many stories and people involved in it that I don't think we'll ever run out of stories to tell if the audience is interested in Doctor Who. You know, then 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 they'll follow us down those rabbit holes. And we've just done a David Whittaker piece on season two, where again it feels like we're uncovering. You know, it's kind of the most journalistic one we've done. Where we felt, wow, we did not know you know, three quarters of this stuff before. And that's exciting. I'm doing a biography at the moment where I, I know for a fact, like two thirds of it has never been touched before. And the, the, the bit that has been done before, I'm very conscious of let's not let that bit take over. Let's make sure that bit doesn't just retell its equivalent of the iPad story or whatever, you know, let's try and keep it new stuff, you know. So we're, I think we're conscious of not, uh, not taking the piss and just selling you the same stuff that you bought, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. So that's for our sanity as well, to, to not just be repeating ourselves. Yes. Um, have you ever found that, you, you know, your documentary work and your big finish work, do you ever find any overlap that, that one inspires the other in any way? It's, it's sometimes helpful. Uh, the connections are helpful. So, uh I guess the clearest example is we did we do a series called The Writer's Room uh, where we just get a whole load of writers from a particular season together in the pub and stick up four or five cameras and make them talk. And on that one, we did one about the missing season 23. And so I knew that Big Finish had adapted 
stories like the nightmare fair and uh and things like uh the ultimate evil and mission to magnus so i was thinking normally we'd show clips and i can't show clips because these things never got made but maybe i can make a deal with big finish to use the audio of a couple of key scenes and i can commission somebody to i think uh, i think it was stuart crouch i think in this case uh, to design like an artwork to represent, say, the Doctor and Perry walking down Blackpool Pleasure Beach or whatever, and and so that allows me to show a clip even though it didn't exist before, and that negotiation was much easier because I knew who to go to, and maybe it was easier for them to say yes, I don't know, but maybe it was because they knew I I wasn't some insane person, um, but no, it's it's sometimes it's helped. In terms of contacting people, I think I think Big Finish have been quite, you know, if you if you say, oh, you you did an audio with this person, can you forward on an email from me so I can get them to come and do a documentary? Then you know, people are helpful. The same thing goes for places like Phantom Films. You know, the whole Doctor Who community will try and help each other out. So that's where it can help too. Uh, yeah, and I guess it, it, often without you realizing, you know, you you the storytelling that you've learnt in one medium bleeds over into the other and you start, you know, telling stories in a different way because of the last story that you told. And and so that can that can happen too. And you're helping us out by doing this, so thank you. Well exactly. Exactly. Doctor Who fans, they're a they're a helpful bunch. I think it's a fundamentally good community. I know people on Twitter kind of say, oh, no, Doctor Who fans, ooh. And I think, you know, everybody's capable, you know, every fandom is capable of, of having its own arseholes, and we've got plenty of arseholes. But I think fundamentally, uh, it, the, the, the good people are a good bunch, and and generally it's a fandom that tries to encourage itself, you know, each other, to to do the probe further, you know, to explore further, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move away from Doctor Who a tiny bit then. Tell us about some of your non-Doctor Who work. Plug your non-Doctor Who stuff. I don't know if I've got anything to plug at the moment. The next thing I've got isn't out until springtime and hasn't really been announced yet. But that's uh, my day job really is factual telly. So that could be... It's documentary, but it could be factual entertainment or it could be specialist factual or, or anything. Um, and that started with observational films. So I, I did uh, my, my big first pitch when I was about 26 was a documentary. I, I have a stammer. I grew up with a stammer and it was a documentary called Stammer School that was all about kids dealing with very severe stammers and the Michael Palin Centre in London that Palin helped to set up or at least supported to set up. Uh, kids going on an intensive speech therapy course and that was kind of a big breakthrough for me at the time and so observational things uh, the, the other day uh, the old chorus site uh, the old Steelworks in Redcar was demolished and I'd made a documentary back in 2011 inside that furnace you know, you know the first time that it was mothballed uh, and where we kind of followed a group of the guys who lost their jobs that day in a kind of full Monty kind of way we said you know what's going to happen to these guys over the next year how, how do you kind of bounce back from that kind of thing um and then more recently I, I did a big doc with Stephen Fry earlier in the year that was on BBC One uh, about the, the the history of mythical creatures that was on like uh uh which got more than Doctor Who 
in, in that month. It got higher ratings than uh, than than the Sea Devil stories. I was like, yeah, that's good. Uh, and I've done a lot for Country File, and I do a lot for CBBC as well. So I, I kind of mix it up, but that, that it's all stories about real people, you know, and and hopefully kind of big hearted stories and. So I, it, it's it's very similar to the Doctor Who work, really. It's just a different different subgenre, I guess. Yeah, excellent. Um, I think that's all the questions we have. Um, should we just chat about Doctor Who for a little bit? Should we do that? We've got ten minutes. Doctor Who's nice. I like Doctor Who. It's all I right, like Doctor it? Who. <laughs> it's yeah. why we're all here, I suppose. Um, so you mentioned that uh, your sort of era was the. Um, the Seventh Doctor era. Um, but do you kind of have any memories of anything before that? You know, did you kind of catch a bit of vengeance on Varos at the time, that kind of thing? No, I I, I missed season 22 entirely. Uh, I guess in theory I would have been watching, I would have probably been old enough to watch it if things like Nightmare Fair had gone ahead. That would have probably been my, my first memory. But instead... Um, I have very vague. Well, no, I, I you know kind of decent memories, but a bit mixed up of uh, Trial of a Time Lord. Uh, so Trial is my first memory, and then uh, and then, but th- th- things from Sylvester's era, I vividly remember. You know, re- watching Remembrance, I, I do the whole scenes that just kind of really burnt themselves in from that. And the kids in my school, we'd be playing uh, that in the playground afterwards because actually, kids in '88 or so we're still watching Doctor Who. You know, we weren't necessarily watching Coronation Street if we were seven, you know, but we might be watching Doctor Who. So, no, so I, I don't go back before then. But then it was the the repeat season they did in 92, 93, uh, when it was on BBC Two. Uh, on a, in my head, it's like on a Friday night. And they showed the Time Meddler and Mind Robber and a, and things like Sea Devils and the Demons for John Pertwee. That, that, that felt quite significant at the time. Um, and it was about the same time I started buying the VHSs. About then, what's your what's your era, gentlemen? When do you date from the two of you? Um, I'm I'm Wilderness. I'm UK Gold. Attack of the Cybermen on UK Gold in about '96, I think it will have been. Um, I sort of saw that and went, "Ooh, what's this?" And then sort out some videos, <laughs> and a few weeks later, had watched the Three Doctors, and that's it. I was in. I was. I wasn't going anywhere. Um. What about you, Connor? Um, I, th- I think the first I ever heard of Doctor Who was about two hours before Rose was broadcast, um, and it was I, I I watched that and it was just instantly fell in, fell in love. It became a uh, appointment viewing every Saturday night that I I would not miss it for love nor money, um, and it's just been a long slow spiral into obsession ever since. <laughs> right, I, I I mean I think I I was in Brighton. With uh, my friend, uh, my friend Juno Dawson, the writer, uh, she was. We went to uni together, and we we arranged to watch Rose together uh, in two thousand five. And I I could place myself back into that room very easily. That that real coming from old Who, just the speed of Rose. It doesn't really feel like it now when you watch it, but at the time, I just thought I I, I it was just this real rush to watch this whole story be told in 45 minutes and these characters to be properly fleshed out in 45 minutes. Um, and then that next day to see 
the headlines about the ratings and it having beaten Ant and Deck and all that and thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, it's actually back. It's actually, you know, because that show could have gone out and been a flop and I guess that would have been it. But seeing those big billboards up at the time in 2005 and then seeing it be a success, uh, I think, was such a, a, a amazing time. I remember going back to school. Um, it was over Easter that um, the first few episodes were broadcast. So by the time I went back to school, I think we'd had the Unquiet Dead. And I just mm. had the greatest I told you so moment because for years I've been telling all my school friends, no, like you've got to watch this. It's great. It's brilliant. And they were mm. like, no, it's, it's crap and it's 80s and we want nothing to do with it. And I went in um, after those first few episodes. And I was like, it's brilliant. It's really good. You were right all along. And I was right all along. Now go and watch Remembrance <laughs> of the Daleks. And then they came back and went, no, that is crap. Fair enough. But, um, yeah, I know. Well, you have to be careful. You have to be careful about which ones you recommend you know, from, from, from the old school. Uh, but but my daughter is, is four. And I'm very much, I've, I've not really shown her Doctor Who. Like She's watched other things. We watched like Jurassic Park. and so She loved Jurassic Park. She was really into Jurassic Park. Uh, but I've been holding back on Doctor Who because I didn't want it just to be background noise. And I kind of thought, well, mm. by the time, I don't know. It, I was thinking when, when Russell comes back next year and it's dated and tenants back, the 60th, is that a good jumping on? And then I thought, actually, maybe I should wait for Shooty. Maybe it's like Christmas next year. Actually, if you've got no connection to Doctor Who, maybe it's better if Shooty is our first Doctor rather than rather than Tennant coming back, which is such an exciting thing, but not, if you, not necessarily if you're four and you've never seen Doctor Who before and you don't know who this guy coming back is. So I might prime her for Shooty. Because I don't think you can start kids on like... You can't start them on a, on kind of Hartnell, can you? You have to you have to let the person get it through Doctor Who of their time, and then if they're bothered enough, they can track back and see what came before it. So I wanted her to kind of have her Doctor properly, and then to go archive. She might hate it. She might think it's the worst thing ever. In which case, I'll, I'll back off until she until I'm dying and she's trying to impress me or something, you know. And and, and then we can do the marathon <laughs> at that point. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's it's full of jumping on points. It's sixty years of jumping on points and jumping off points. Um, like I say, I came on with a really strange one, Attack of the Cybermen. But I was just six, six year old me, five six year old me. It was robots and guns and aliens. And mm. still, you know, I wasn't paying attention to the. 700 million continuity references that are scattered throughout it. I was just, it's lasers, no, it's sensible chap. You, you, You're a sensible chap, though, I think. Yeah. Thank you very, very much for joining us. It has been absolutely great to have you on. It's been great to chat with you. Um, and, yeah, um, hopefully you will be able to rejoin us again sometime. After your Tom's out, let's talk about your Tom. I know. Well, it feels like it's been nearly out forever, but uh, I think it's out next year. <laughs> Have a listen. Nice to yeah. see you, chap. Marvellous. Well, well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. No problem. No problem. Uh, so we will end it there. Um, so I'll say goodbye. Uh, I'll say goodbye and thank you to Connor. Thank you very much. And goodbye and a huge thank you to our special guest, Chris Chapman. Thank you very much. It's been absolutely great having you on. Uh, we'll be back for more podcasting soon. Goodbye now. Bye.